So I don't know about you, but I am a big fan of a mailbox. Is anybody else a fan of a mailbox? In a time when we can text and call and instant message one another or tweet to communicate, I still find great joy in going to the mailbox each and every day. A handwritten card, a bill, local coupons, I don't really care what it is. It doesn't matter. I just love the idea of the pace in which something can arrive at your door. One day I approached the mailbox and I had one letter. Nothing important, I thought, but I opened it anyway. The outside of the letter was addressed to me, Reverend Jana K. Stoner, and the return address listed MMBB. This was my retirement information, disability insurance, etc. company that I have been blessed with as an American Baptist pastor. I opened the envelope and the title on the first page said, Information for the Wandering Minister Status. <laughs> wandering Minister. What could that mean? Although I appreciated for only $10 a month I could keep most of my MMB benefits, I didn't know that I had a new title or a new classification. Sure, I had made the decision to leave a ministry that I really loved, to become more intentional in my walk as a doctoral student and as a mother, but wandering minister. I was not so sure about that title. For a while, I resented the title of wandering minister, to me, wandering meant that I was lost or uncertain of where I was going. To me, wandering meant that I lacked clarity, understanding, and even times, hope. Wandering meant lack of purpose, to me anyway. My vision of wandering was this, seeing myself lost in the woods, no map, no compass, no, get, no Google, no way to get the mail, just me. No direction, no clear understanding of where I was or no way out. It wasn't until I was at a meeting at Heritage Farm for Marketplace Ministries that I saw a plaque that changed my perspective of wandering minister title. In this primitive place full of wisdom and innovation, I read these words. Just because you're wandering doesn't mean that you're lost. Wandering. Just because you're wandering doesn't mean that you're lost. Each day, for me, it means that I have to choose to embrace the journey. I am not looking for all the answers, just embracing what is in front of me. I claim from the highest heavens that the majority of time I have no idea what I am doing, or what I'm supposed to be doing. But this journey has allowed me to look around, to be grateful for my environments and seek compassion for the people that God puts around me. I am not lost, but I am wandering. And wandering seems right. Wandering seems exciting, but terrifying. Wandering feels beautiful, but put together. Frightening, yet peaceful, dark but bright, exhausting, and yet refreshing. 
Through my wandering, many of you have pulled me into your environments in order that I could find a greater understanding for my doctoral studies. Yesterday, I went through my calendar from this past year and looked at how many interviews, meetings, and discussions I have been able to have with people and groups in our community. These times have aided in my thesis, which is, you will not have a test on this, but I'm going to just tell you what it is. Bridging social capital between faith communities and existing organizations in order to streamline community development efforts in the High Lawn community. Yes, it's a mouthful, but that's what doctoral studies are. <laughs> um, you won't get it on test on that. But as I look through the names, the tables, the thoughts of the many of the discussions, I was overwhelmingly grateful for the hundred plus people who have allowed me to learn from their businesses, their nonprofits, their churches, their school, their civil group, and government entities. I have met some amazing people along the way who are tirelessly aiding in the fight of drug addiction, economic development, safety, and prosperity. I also have met very much a large amount of strong believers of faith who share the gospel message through word and deed to invest in the lives of others. I have felt through my wandering that God has opened my eyes to pieces, pieces of a puzzle. I have seen whole pieces, and I have seen missing pieces. I have, through it all, been searching for a bigger picture, and maybe at times you have too. The prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 20 through 26, has become an anchor for me. And today, I hope you too will find Jesus' prayer moving as you search for the piece of the puzzle that God has for you to place. I began this prayer over the Highland community several months ago. This prayer provides us all an image of unity, not conformity. There is a big difference between unity and conformity. Unity takes place when we see each other's individual gifts as assets instead of liabilities, and our fellow man as a child of God uniquely designed to make up the whole big picture. Uniformity is thinking everyone has to be the same as you in order for us to all get along. A new friend of mine stated it this way. It is much more exciting to eat gumbo than it is to eat a bisque. The gumbo allows each individual flavor to be a part of the base of the soup. But in a bisque, The individuality is all pureed away. He later said, I prefer the bisque. No, I prefer the gumbo, is what he said. I'm so sorry. I prefer the gumbo. I do too. Jesus' prayer in John 17 is for us, the future believers. I would like to invite you all to turn to your Bibles in John chapter 17, verse 20, as we look at this passage of Scripture together. In the beginning of chapter 17, Jesus prays to the Father. 
Jesus knows that his redeeming work here on the earth in his physical form is coming to completion. The picture of salvation, grace, and love is being fulfilled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. His mission is being fulfilled, so he continues by praying for his disciples and for the future believers. Jesus says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What we first can discover from this passage of scripture is that the creator, the sustainer, the salvation of the world chose in his very last days to pray for you and to pray for me. One of the very last things that Jesus did was pray on our behalf. Just take that in for a moment. Jesus prayed that you and I would be joined in relationship with Jesus and the Father. The word in Greek for one in this passage is highest. This word shows up in John chapter 10, verse 16, when Jesus talks about the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one highest flock and one highest shepherd. Jesus was talking about people other than the Jews who would be joining the flock, and he was speaking about the future of who would be invited to be one, just as the Father and Jesus were one. I can't think of anyone who was more of a more powerful prayer than one from Jesus Christ himself. We can find great comfort, hope, peace, and empowerment through the fact that Jesus prayed for us as his future believers, that we can work towards being one just as God and Jesus are one. Jesus wanted to be in relationship with you. He wanted you to join in the redeeming work of he and his father. It was the desire of his heart, and that is powerful. Reverend Eric Porterfield has shared with me some of the visioning process and the three strengths that you all have determined through the process. It is no surprise to me that they are theological diversity, a sense of family, and missions. I got to see those strengths and many of many of you in within this congress, conver, congregation for many years. Through this prayer, Jesus prayed that we would all be one. Your theolog, theological diversity makes you unique as a congregation. One of the greatest gifts I've experienced over the past several months is getting to know leaders of other faith communities and different cultures. Learning from others to gain a greater understanding 
challenges us, allows us to have compassion, and helps us to look at people as people. As a congregation, I want to challenge you to continue to be willing to learn, to gain understanding of all faiths, of all traditions, and from people who look differently than you. It is not about conformity, but it is about unity. In your diversity, are you willing to challenge yourself in order to gain a greater understanding of the people who surround you? Jesus' sheep pen is very large, but even so, there is still only one shepherd. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for me. He prayed for all future believers, and he goes on in his prayer at verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus prayed for us, but he also secondly gave us the glory that lived in him to live also in us. God has given you everything you need to accomplish what God is calling you to do. Each of us as followers of Jesus Christ are entrusted with the power of the Spirit at work within us. The glory, the doxa in Greek, is a word that explains splendor, brightness, excellence, dignity, and the grace found in Jesus that is also a part of us as followers of Christ. There is only one word to use to explain Jesus and the Father and us as one with them, and it is teleleo, which in Greek is the word for perfection. Each of us have been given the glory of God. It is the glory that lives inside of us that connects us to be one together. Over the past several months, I've been so encouraged by watching the community come together. I have watched tables being filled with many different people, with different skills and abilities to work on real solutions to help in aiding with the opioid crisis and how to meet people where they are. I have seen so many people look at what they can offer to make a difference in this community and it truly has been beautiful. I have seen how people have gathered to talk about racial reconciliation and work that needs to be accomplished to fight injustice. We are all different, all unique, but what brings us together as people of God is an understanding that the glory of God lives in each and one of us, uniquely despite our differences. Another strength of this congregation that you all have determined is the sense of family. A family eats together, shares together, walks together, struggles together, and thrives together. They find joy, heartache, and love through one another. A family is a beautiful thing. It is an image that is given to us as the church that we are to be one unit although we are many parts. 
A guest speaker at an event I was recently attending challenged me when I heard him say, the church is to be a family, but I wonder if our churches are still open to welcoming the orphaned. In many churches in this community, there are a lot of empty pews. This is not only the reality for churches in our community, but also churches as a whole. The church is more divided than unified in many different aspects, and the orphan is the one who suffers. The one who is lost, hurting, feeling alone or rejected, the one who does not have a family. As a congregation, one of your greatest strengths is the sense of family. So I have to ask you, who is the orphan? Who is the one who does not have a home? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it a friend or maybe even a classmate? Is it a family member? As a follower of Christ, as a member of the family, are you looking out for the orphan? Are you trying to help them find their way home? And it goes beyond inviting them to come to church. It is becoming family to the orphan, who the father desires for him or her to know his love. There is someone out there for each of us, And we each have an opportunity to bring someone else into the family of God. Jesus also prayed for them in verse 24. Father, I desire, I desire, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus prayed for us. He gave us his glory. And he wants us to share that glory with others. Jesus' desire for our eyes to be opened, to be attentive, to discern the glory of God and the love and grace that he has for all people. Jesus concludes his prayer in these words. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God's redeeming work continues and we get to be a part of it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I had to get him in there somewhere. Dr. Reasons will be proud. A truth, a doctrine, or religion needs no space for itself. They are dissembled entities. They are heard, learned, apprehended, and that is all. But the incarnated Son of God needs not only ears or hearts, but living people to choose to follow him. That is why he called his disciples into literal body-following and thus made his fellowship with them a visible reality. That fellowship was founded and sustained by Jesus Christ, the incarnated Lord himself. Jesus prayed that we understand that the glory that lives in him 
also lives in each of us. God has given us everything we need to accomplish what he needs for us to do. He also prays for the ones who yet do not know his glory, and he allows us to continue in his redeeming work of uniting others through the love of God. The mission continues and continues through us, united through the love of Jesus and the glory that is in us, just as it is in Christ. Henry Ford once said, Coming together is the beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. The mission continues through each of us. So your third strength, mission. This church taught me mission. Mission trips, mission opportunities, mission, mission, mission. And I am so very grateful. But as you continue strengthening this strength, I want you to remember Bonhoeffer's words. Your life is a visible reality of the love and fellowship of Jesus. Your life is a visible reality of the love and fellowship of Jesus. Our lives, through the glory of God, are on mission for the kingdom, here on earth as it is in heaven. In all that we do, we have an opportunity to bring Jesus at the center, to live lives of hope, healing, reconciliation, joy, and love. Jesus prayed for us to be one, and he empowered us through his glory. It is our time to be a part of the big picture of the redemptive work of God. You may recall this event, but there was a cabinet meeting in London during the darkest days in the Second World War. France had just surrendered, and Prime Minister Churchill outlined the situation in the stark, dark colors. Quite literally, the tiny British Isle stood alone. Grim faces stared back at him in stoic silence. Despair and thoughts of surrender were written all over their faces. The visionary statements, statesman momentarily remained silent. He lit a cigar and showed a hint of a smile. And with a twinkle in his eye, he responded to that dispirited, dispirited company of officials. And he said these words, Gentlemen, I find it rather inspiring. Unity is no easy task, but Christ has empowered us and prayed for us. Let's be inspired. In the words of Cecil Sherman, that's what I came to tell you. <laughs>